Father in heaven, we ask your spirit now to come and, and speak to us uh, because uh, these words, we, we need these words. These can be an encouragement to us. Help us to hear and be encouraged today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to spend some time today in Acts chapter 5. Now, we've been in the book of Acts for a little while now since we did the seven days of prayer. We've been doing different, different places from Acts. It hasn't really been chronological. It's kind of been more topical. We've jumped around. And we've actually already been in Acts chapter 5. We talked about the first part of the chapter, which is the story about Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, that whole story does not go well. But there comes after it another very interesting portion, and I want to focus on that today. And we're going to start in verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed, and they lived happily ever after. Right? I mean, it's going good, right? Could it be any more obvious that the Lord is with them? I mean, great, wonderful works are taking place. The, the people are all united in one accord. Uh, the believers, the new believers are being added regularly, so evangelism is going great. The healing ministry has gotten so remarkably powerful that they're just laying people in the street, and Peter's shadow is healing as he walks along. I mean, we would say the Lord is with them, right? God is with them. God is blessing this community. His presence is right there. And the way we want the story to go is that if God is with us, then everything's going great. Right? Isn't that how we want the story to go? And if something starts not going so great, well, maybe God's not with us. Isn't that the temptation? Well, that's what we're going to take on in this story, because we start here, right? Could we have more elation than this? Wouldn't that have been amazing to be a part of that community in that time? Would have loved that. But here, let, let's go on. The next verse doesn't say, and they lived happily ever after, in case you wondered. It says this, verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. You could also say jealousy there. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Your shadow is healing people. And you got thrown in the common prison. God is with us. Now we're in prison. Well, that's all right. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Let's read this next part, verse 19. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Oh, okay. Yay. Oh, yay. 
Does that feel like anybody's Christian life? Ah, oh, ah, back and forth. God's with us. So there's a uh, passage in the Desire of Ages that uh, Alicia shared with me one time, and it's always stuck with me, and she'd bring it up to me every now and then. And, and I want to, there's two pieces to it. I'm going to share the first part here. I'm going to read the last part later. But this is from Desire of Ages, page 331. In the heart of Christ, where reigned perfect harmony with God, there was perfect peace. He was never elated by applause, nor dejected by censure or disappointment. Amidst the greatest opposition and most cruel treatment, he was still of good courage. So I don't want you to live an emotionless life. I don't want you to have an emotionless Christian experience. But I do want to say this. Be careful of elation and be careful of dejection. Because the temptation is to think when I'm excited, elated, God is with me. And when I'm dejected, I'm on my own. Jesus knew both of these experiences. There were the amazing times in his ministry. There was also desperate, difficult times but he was able to maintain peace in his heart by keeping stable on the inside regardless of what happened on the outside. Verse 20. So God breaks them out of prison and he says, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they, that being the uh, Sadducees, heard... And when they heard that, they, they, oh, I'm sorry, when the disciples heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought in. So, everything's going great. Now you're in prison. Now you're miraculously let out of prison. Now they're after you again. It goes back and forth. It's easy to assume God is with us when we're not having troubles. But that just doesn't work in this story. Verse 22, when the officials came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. Uh, this is probably an interesting moment. Would you mind coming with us? <laughs> Never mind the spears and all that. Just come with us. Verse 27 and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? All right, so here's the thing. When you are committed to your righteous cause, never mind the fact that they're healing people, never mind the fact that they're doing good deeds out there, come down hard, right? It's, it's troubling, isn't it? Never mind that the people will stone you if you grab them because you know you're right. 
Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, okay, wait a second now. We're talking about Peter here. You remember Peter, right? He's easily intimidated, right? I mean, it was outside of the council. He wasn't even in the council. It was a servant girl. All she said was, do you know Jesus? And he's like, "Uh, no. This is Peter, right? What happened to Peter? Well, in that case, he was in confusion. Jesus was not doing what he expected. Nothing was going the way he thought it should go. And it broke him down. But now he's learned a thing or two. And he's experienced a little something called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now watch what happened to Peter. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter the denier becomes Peter who cannot be silenced. He used to be afraid of this group. Now he boldly stands in front of them and speaks. Well, it's not well received. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Now, just an aside here. We'll call this the conundrum of church discipline. It is true that there are times when people within the community of faith throw the whole community into an uproar over something that isn't good. And it becomes important at that time that leaders within the community become involved and and settle things down. But there are also times when things arise within the community of faith that throw the community into an uproar where you try to settle them down and it escalates over here and it escalates over here and it escalates over here and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. Here's a, here's a little rule of thumb for you. When you've reached the point that you're furious and you feel like they should die, you've probably gone too far. And hopefully, well before you reach that point, you reach a different point. Well before that, what happens in your context is what happens here. Verse 34, then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. He's like, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. You guys go out there. So the disciples went out, and he said, all right. And he looked at everybody around him, verse 35, and he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, 
and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. So now Gamaliel himself is inclined to think that they're doing the wrong thing. But give him credit. He's at least uncomfortable enough with what's been going on and with the spirit he sees amongst his faction. Sometimes there's factions, right? He's at least enough uncomfortable with the spirit in his faction to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Do we have any examples of this from the past? Now, this is very interesting what he does here. His example is spot on. You see, in that time in Judea, there was a lot of excitement and expectation that the Messiah was going to appear and free them from the Romans. Nobody was looking for a Messiah to appear and free them from sin. So for this reason, Jesus did not fit the expectation of many. But several had arisen in this span. And he gives the example of two in particular. He names the the first one, and he said, He died, and everybody that followed him was dispersed. Then he names the example of the second one. He died, and everyone that followed him was dispersed. Now, this is exactly the reality of Jesus, right? He died... And he's saying, now, if this is just like those other deals, then everybody will be dispersed and it'll go away. But there is the chance that this is from God. And if it's from God, you better leave them alone. Now, I can't help but think that that would be useful advice for us in some of the arguments we have within our larger church community that maybe we've reached an impasse And maybe we just better leave each other alone for a while. Because if it's of man, maybe it'll just go away. But if it's of God, well, here's the thing. Luke chapter 12, verse 10. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. You see, the context of that whole thing was they were attributing the works of Jesus to not being from God. Let's be really careful when we're so sure and start attributing people to being of the devil when, in fact, we may not be able to judge that. So let's call this the Gamaliel formula. And let's think about it in the context of our own community when discussions And arguments and warnings fail us because they warned them multiple times, they threatened them multiple times, maybe at that point the right thing to do is step away and let it play out. Now, here's the thing. Is it always the right way to go? Is it always true that if it's just of men, it will go away? Well, probably not because there is such thing in the Bible as stories where bad things come up as a result and they lead everybody astray. So, so I, I don't think I can stand here and tell you that is true every time. But I will tell you it's true very often. And I will also suggest that when you reach that point of impasse where you really do want to kill somebody, walk away. Okay? Let it cool down. Step back. 
don't try so hard to win. We'll call that the Gamaliel formula. Just step away. Let's go on, verse 40. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them. Let's give coercion one more go. Right? Okay, good. But we're going to beat them one more time. Yeah. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. And let them go. And the disciples went home despondent and depressed and heartbroken because they'd been beaten up by the leaders. Is that what it says? Are you peeking? So the disciples departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. <laughs> How about that? But they didn't talk about Jesus anymore. Is that right? No. And daily in the temple. They didn't just wait for Sabbath. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So it's not a shock that they were threatened, but maybe it is a shock that after they were threatened and beaten, they went away rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. All right, so that's the story. That's, that's our context. Now let's see if we can pull out of here anything we can bring home with us. All right, three main points that you may not want to agree with, but I think you're going to have trouble arguing with. Number one, being a believer does not exempt you from troubles in life. Is that, is that true? Have you found that to be true? I want to see the hands of everyone who's had no troubles in life. Yep. Me neither. Number two, troubles in life do not indicate that God is not with you. I mean, I mean, if we're going to go down that road, if we're going to assume because I'm having trouble, God isn't with me, then we'd have to say in this story, God is with them and everything is going well, then he isn't with them and they got thrown in prison. Then God gets them out of prison and he's with them again, then he isn't with them because they got beat up. Is that how this story works? Or, or is God steady through the whole thing? He's constant, isn't he? Their experience goes all over the place. But God is steady. He has this eternal purpose. One part of his eternal purpose is that amazing span of time when everything was going great. Another part of his eternal purpose is this span when they go through persecution and suffering. Because ultimately, this persecution is going to lead to the stoning of Stephen. And then you remember after that what happens? Then they leave Jerusalem. And the whole thing happens in Antioch and that whole thing. It's all part of God's purpose. Now, that doesn't mean God wants us to suffer, but it does mean that there is a larger story that every bit of our story is a part of. And if we'll stay faithful through the whole story, then God will accomplish a great work. So being a believer does not exempt you from trouble. Trouble does not indicate that God is not with you. 
And number three, it is an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. See, that's, that's what the story says. Now, now, I'm not signing up. I feel disinclined to want to agree with this point. But let's see if we can find any other texts that back up these ideas. All right. So John chapter 16. Let's go back to being a believer does not exempt you from troubles in life. And I want to read you one of the promises that Jesus makes, but I'll bet you don't claim this promise. Here we go. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Jesus has promised that in the world you will have tribulation. That's not one we ask for, is it? It's not one we pray for. But he warned us. But it doesn't end there. It says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The core of what this is saying to us is that you're not going to get from here to glory without some valleys, without some challenges, without some turns, without some stuff you weren't planning on. But be of good cheer because your ultimate hope does not rest in an easy road to glory. Your ultimate hope rests in the fact that Jesus has overcome everything you will face. including death. Because unless Jesus comes in time, there will come a point of ending of every one of our lives. But not even that can take us out of God's plan. Because Jesus has overcome it all. All right, let's look at another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. This is a description of the reality of Christian life. Hard-pressed on every side. But if Jesus is in you, you're not crushed. Perplexed. But if Jesus is with you, you don't have to be despairing. Persecuted, but never forsaken. Struck down, but never destroyed. So it's pretty clear The apostles have not lied to us about our life experience. It's going to be like this. But our faith can be like this. Why? Because Jesus is with us like this, right? Right? What does he say to us? What did he say to the disciples in Matthew 28? Lo, I am with you always. As long as the times are good. No? I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it doesn't matter if you're up here or you're down here. Jesus is with you through the Holy Spirit all the time. All right, well, let's let's look at that. 
look at the implications of that. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So what I'm talking about here is high-level Christian living. I'm not sure how many of us are living there right now because a lot of trials come to me. I'm not like, yes, thank you, Lord. I don't do that. I tend to go, really, Lord? Really? Yeah, I had that issue with my car this week. See, I just, oh, this is an aside. So I, I, I kind of have, I kind of have an older car and, and uh, so we, we, I was going along and, and I had an issue with my, with, with something, I got it fixed. And you know, you can't ever fix your car for under $500. But anyway, so I got my car fixed. And, and then the very next day, I roll down the passenger window and it goes and disappears down into the door. It's like, really? I just fixed it. So I took it in and I got the window fixed. And I'm coming out and I, got it. I had a problem with the radiator, but I'm like, no, I can live with this. I'll just, just add water. And uh, so I'm going along, everything's good. And then a problem I had about six months ago starts happening again. And I and just dropped all, and just like, really? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Well, I'm trying. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Did I want that? See, I didn't really want patience. I just want everything to go the way I want. Then I don't need patience. But that's not how life is, is it? And you know that word patience there? You know what that word is? We've used it around here before. Hupomone. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. This is the sustaining faith that keeps us going. Hupomone. Hanging on, even when times are tough. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, these trials that come into our life, they work for our good. I don't want that to be true. But let's go to somebody else. Let's go to somebody in the midst of trial. Job. Poster boy for today's sermon, right? Job. Chapter 19, verse 21. Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. See, here's the crisis going on here. Job has lost everything. He's lost family, and he's in pain, and his friends are coming, and because his friends are so terrified by what's happened to him, they have to find a way of making it his fault. And so basically what they're saying is, the only reason you're suffering like this is because there's no way God is with you. Because if God is with you, none of this would have happened. But that's not the story, is it? God is with him the whole way. 
And he's saying to them, have pity on me, for the hand of God has struck me. And, and why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? He's in despair. His own faith is, is hanging in the balance. Verse 23, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Well, guess what, Job? You had no idea, but we're holding it in our hand right now. And we are reading your words. And the suffering, the bitter suffering you went through has helped millions. Now listen to his faith. He's hanging on. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Even in the midst of despair, even when surrounded by friends who are just tearing at him and dragging him down, he says, no, no. I know my Redeemer lives and that I will stand before Him. So I want to give you the other part of that Desire of Ages quote from page 331. That first part was about Jesus, how He was was able to keep from being too elated in the good times but too despairing in the bad times because He kept that constant belief in the presence of the Father and His faith. Here we go. But many who profess to be his followers have an anxious, troubled heart because they are afraid to trust themselves with God. They do not make a complete surrender to him for they shrink from the consequences that such a surrender may involve. Unless they do make this surrender, they cannot find peace. The world's not going to make a deal with you. You're not going to be able to get from here to there without this. The only way to get from here to there through this and be at peace is to surrender yourself completely to God. It's the only way. Otherwise, the good times, you'll think God is with you. The bad times, you'll be sure you're on your own. But if you can hang on, you can hold it together. So, so that, that really, we're kind of dealing with the first two points there. Being a believer does not exempt you from troubles, but troubles don't mean God isn't with you. So now let's look at this third point. It's an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. Why is it an honor? Well, let me read you this from Isaiah 53. This is the great prophecy about what Jesus was going to do. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. What was it like for Jesus? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So was Jesus' experience all up here? Looks like more of it was down here, doesn't it? And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. You, you remember what they said to him on the cross? If he, delights in, if, if he delights in you, come on down from there. How could anyone loved by God suffer like you're suffering? That's what they said to Jesus. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Why is it an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus? Because Jesus suffered so much for us. And any little peace we could do is so small compared to what he's done. And do you see how his suffering brought glory to the Father? Our suffering brings glory to Jesus. When we are faithful in our trials, we bring glory to the name of Jesus. Luke 12. Luke chapter 12. I read verse 10 out of here, but now I want to jump in there and read, read verses uh, 8 and 9 and 11 and 12. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. You want Jesus to confess your name before the angels of God? Then don't be afraid of those who would try to intimidate you out of your faith. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. But now we get nervous, right? What would I do? What would I say? Verse 11, now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. What this is telling you is you're going to go through trials, but the Holy Spirit's going to be with you every step of the way. Don't worry about it. God will give you what you need in the moment you need it. One more text, Hebrews 12. Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Anybody want to guess what that endurance word is? Coupomone. There it is. Every time you turn around, it's what we need. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But here's the thing, we're not going to endure on our own. Here's what it's going to take. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So when your life is not up here, but it's down here, look to Jesus and remember what he went through and find courage, and he will sustain you through the trial. So this is the three. Being a believer does not exempt you from trouble. Trouble does not indicate God is not with you, and if your trouble leads you to suffer, know that it is an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. You only get through by keeping your eyes on Jesus, 
being fully surrendered to Him and staying on your course with endurance. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. In this world, you will have trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. And should persecution and suffering find you, if you can, rejoice. Because it means you have been deemed worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. It's practically impossible. We've got to have the Holy Spirit in our lives to even begin to live this way. But it is the way to live in peace. Can't let the ups and downs be the reasons we're happy or sad. It's that faith in Jesus that has to drive it. So here's the thing. We're going to sing a song here. So Stacy, come on out here. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song. And this song is all about standing up for Jesus. So go ahead. Stand up now. We're going to have to stand anyway to sing the song. So let's stand up right now. And let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we would like life to not be filled with problems and troubles. But Jesus has said and demonstrated to us that in this world, until the kingdom of God is fully established and sin has been done away with forever, we will have troubles. But those troubles, when they come, does not mean Jesus is not with us. And that if, in fact, we will face those troubles with faith, we will bring, we will bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. We want to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. And any misery we go through, Lord, we don't want it wasted. So help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, to run with endurance, and to know that one day Jesus will come again, set everything right, and give his reward to those who have brought glory to his name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.